You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best-selling author, MC, and two-time Grammy-considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart-provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. Hey everybody, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Welcome to the Outstanding Life Podcast. I am so excited to kick off this 2022 season. And on the line with me right now, we have Dimitri Lazarus. He is award-winning television director. I met him at the PRI show. And when I met this guy, this young man, I was like, you have to to come on my podcast. He is amazing. You guys are going to love him on the line with me right now. Dimitri, how are you? I'm doing good. And again, uh, you know, we had such a great time chatting at PRI that, you know, we only had what, 20, 20 minutes. But I, uh, we we knew we had to have a longer conversation. Absolutely. As soon as we got done, we both looked at, looked at each other and we we're like, we have to we have to do this, but longer. And, and, and you're from uh, Southern California. I have to ask today, I woke up and it was like, um, you know, I don't know, 18, 19 degrees. Um, also in the studio with me today is my producer, uh, Paul. So, Hey, Paul, say hello to everybody. Why? Hello. <laughs> Paul always makes his, his way onto the podcast every once in a while. So Paul, I appreciate you jumping on here with us today as well. But Paul, we woke up this morning and it was what uh, 20 degrees. Uh, I'd say, say, yeah, high teens, low twenties. Dimitri, it's still morning there in uh, Southern California. What's the uh, temperature like there? It's a it's a brisk fifty five. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Dimitri. Um, you know, I'm going to jump right into this. Uh, you know, you're award winning television director. How did you get your start in you know um, in video, in production, in writing? You know, uh, how did you get your start? Well, you know, my my parents uh, were in the film industry. My my father uh, was a cinematographer, a uh, producer. Uh, my mother was in uh, costuming, and uh, I, I grew up in it. And you know, when when you're when you think of like the film industry and show business, uh, you know, a lot of people think it's it's so alien or it's it's out of reach. But when I was growing up into it. I would be, you know, at family gatherings and it's like, Oh, this person just finished this show over here. Or this person works at Disney. This person works at Warner brothers. And it was just, it was real because these are all people just doing their nine to five job. You know, maybe it's not nine to five, maybe it's 16 <laughs> right. hour day, but you know, everyone is just, it's, it's a job. And, uh, it was one of those things where I, when I grew up in this, uh, in, you know, seeing all this on the peripheral of my family, it was never uh, a question of like, how am I going to do this? It's just, okay, well, I need to find, the direction that I need to take, you know, to get there. And, you know, it, my parents aren't in any position to like, you know, get me jobs or anything like that. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, they were able to give me the uh, perspective of it's, it is a job. It's a real job. And if you want to do the job, you can do it. So for the listeners that are listening to, to your story right now, did you, did you go to school for, for this? Like even, even in high school, did you start doing stuff, you know, at school and did you carry that on to college? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's uh, you know, when I was a kid, eight, nine, ten years old, you know, I 
have, you know, my dad's camcorder and I would be filming, you know, little movies with action figures, you know, doing, you know, everything <laughs> cool. you know, that, you know, young kids do when it comes to like making, you know, films and everything. And, uh, in high school, uh, I went to a private school, but, uh, you know, I was able to, um, you know, talk with the, the, the theater department and work on ways and we were able to end up building a small kind of film, uh, film class in high school. So it was, it was great being able to, you know, kind of, partake in kind of the development of that. And, uh, you know, once I graduated high school, uh, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to go to film school. So, uh, I went to a college called, uh, Columbia college, Hollywood, uh, it's out in, uh, the Tarzana, uh, North Hollywood area. And it's actually the same school that my father went to. Uh, this, this school's been around since, uh, the, you know, early seventies. And, uh, um, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people say like, Oh, is film school worth it. Uh, is, you know, you know, are, do you really, you know, get what you need out of it? You know, especially now with like YouTube and, you know, learning how to, you know, do all this kind of stuff online and being able to have much more access to creatives. Um, I still think it's very, very worth, uh, going to film school. And, and my main reason is the people I met, um, so many of the jobs that I was able to get the last 10 years, you know, 10, 12 years of working have been through contacts that I uh, went to the school with. And a lot of them are still colleagues to this day. I love that. And, and also you're learning the process, right? I mean, that's, that's the big deal is learning the process and, and how to do it and why to do it and how to, you know, you can learn so much. Yes. On, on, on YouTube and stuff like that. But when it comes to the process, it's a lot different. And I think that that's oh, some, sometimes school teaches you that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, you, you know, the, the people that were teaching are industry you know, professionals. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the other things, and it's something I've actually been reflecting on lately, is when you go to film school, you're, you're thrown in, or any, or any college, uh, you're thrown into an environment where you have competition. You have, you know, you see peers, you're able to collaborate with people. You're able to see people who are just do much better work than yeah. you. And when you are insulated into like your home and you're just doing it yourself and you're learning off YouTube, you don't have the, uh, that immediacy of uh, competition and competitiveness. You don't have the immediacy of like finding like-minded people to collaborate with. So again, I think uh, what a lot of people kind of start missing is the human element when it comes to like deciding not to go to film school, because again, like that's, that's the big part. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a multiple, you know, different types of people, personality types, uh, all walks of life. And it, everyone's there for the same goal is to make, you know, good films. Dimitri, what was your very first video or film that you created? And how old were you when you created that? So, uh, I was, uh, 15 years old. This would, I guess would be the more, more, I guess like one where I sat down and did everything. So I, I adapted a, uh, a short story. Uh, so I was in theater class and there was a, um, kind of like a, a, a dialogue scene that we did. And I saw the scene. It was, you know, I, I thought it was very interesting. So I adapted it into a, you know, five minute short film. And, uh, it was, uh, kind of a, a heavier subject where it was, uh, teens, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, and, uh, essentially the girl is pregnant and she's letting her boyfriend know. And it's just, uh, this back and forth of like what they're going to do, you know, with, you know, are they going to, you know, move forward with the pregnancy? Are they going to, you know, move forward with the relationship? So it was, it was a very kind of intimate character piece that I was playing with. Um, 
and then uh, so I we, we we made it, and it's you know it was a fifteen year old short film right. <laughs> in terms of quality. Uh, so, uh, but I actually ended up sending it to the uh, the author of the short story. And I immediately got a cease and desist letter from him <laughs> <laughs> saying to never <laughs> to never adapt any of his work without its permission. I so love I, it. it was, you know, so it was one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, like you know, it was like my, it was my first, you know, uh, the hard criticism. And but it was good though. It's something that I kind of take with, uh, you know, you know, I, I've been potentially sued over my work. So, <laughs> Dimitri, when you when you said that, I will I'll never forget my first promo real uh like headshots everybody always said that i i when i laugh i sound like tigger the tiger and so i got a a stuffed animal with tigger the tiger and i did a couple like promo shots and i used them until i got a letter saying don't you ever use this for your for your promotional <laughs> stuff and i was like so i've i've gotten one of those letters and i was scared to death i was like oh my gosh Tigger, I will never laugh yeah. like him. I will never even pick up a Tigger anymore. <laughs> well, again, now imagine being a 15-year-old kid. You know, right, exactly. so you, you think your entire life is ruined. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I talked to my parents about it, and they said, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah. You know, if you're, you're, you're stirring feathers, you're, uh, you know, and they always said that any publicity is good publicity. No, absolutely. So where do you find your passion for the different projects? Oh, you know, it's uh, – I. I really try to just look at the world around me, um, different types of art, um, things that just kind of resonate with me. You know, I, I, I don't, I find inspiration more through themes, uh, versus like concepts, if that makes sense, because I feel like you can take any concept, but when it's, it's taking those themes and the tones of what you're trying to tell, like, that's where I, that's where you kind of get that authentic originality in terms of like what I want to be as a storyteller. Um, you know, so and I, I, a lot of it is through life experiences. And I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. Um, you know, my my best work has really been the last two years, and I I truly believe a lot of it is because I've had a decade worth of life experiences. I've had heartbreak. I had, you know, my children being born. I've gone through a divorce. I've gone through relationships. I've gone through you know buying a house, losing a house, buying, you know, you know, all these incredible life experiences that I'm now able to find those emotions and find those ways to be able to now evoke them through a project. And again, when I, when you look at traditionally, when you look at directors making films, a lot of them, you, when it comes to their, their good best work, and at least when they're the start of their career, a lot of it isn't until, you know, their early 30s, and I'm, I'm 31 years old. So I really feel like a lot of the storytelling that you have, you need to let that stuff marinate. Yes, 100%. You can't tell, you, you, let, 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 I always say that you can never, ever, ever tell a great story without being through it yourself. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. Have you ever always wanted to be the guy behind the camera or did you start off wanting to be the guy in front of the camera? I've always wanted to be the, the director. I always, you know, it's uh, when, it, when I, I always get so worried that when I say like, I want to be a director, that there's like an ego that kind of comes with that. And there is because like, you're the guy in charge. You're, you're, you're the guy. But I, I, I really believe in my uh my touch as what i can bring to a project or how i could tell a story 
so, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be a director. And, uh, you know, again, through high school, it was one of those things, since there wasn't a film class until the very end, uh, you know, the, the next best thing was theater, which allowed me to be, you know, in, in front of the camera sometimes or on stage. But I really think that is, it was very beneficial because it allowed me to understand what the actor goes through. It allowed me to understand um, kind of getting, like, working on, like, performance. And that's all stuff I'm able to now take and work with when I work with talent myself. Right. Absolutely. Have you, have you in the process of you becoming a professional uh, producer, have you failed? You know, we, (laughs) we, we love hearing the, the stories about how great things are and about how great you are and where your career is right now. But have you ever failed at a project Yes, and I, I still fail <laughs> for full transparency. You know, there, but it's good. You have to. Um, so, uh, you know, the, my my first big failure. So I was 19 years old, and I'm uh, in in film school, and I I, I wrote a short film, and I, I I made it in my senior year of high school, and uh, it was a story about a uh, a, uh, a guy who lives in Mexico. And his sister across the border in America was sexually assaulted. And he, it's his journey coming into America to essentially kind of avenge what happened. It was, it wasn't, uh, you know, this, again, I wrote it when I was 17 years old. It was, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of the life experiences, but it was these kind of larger concepts I wanted to be dealing with of, uh, um, morality issues, you know, the, 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 you know, these kind of hot, hot button issues that were happening in society and like, you know, being able to turn it on its head. So I, I, I made the short film. Um, it won a couple of awards in a film festival and I was, you know, real hot on it. No and, kidding. Uh, and and when I was, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was, it, it gave me at least the confidence. Like, okay, like at least I, I'm going, going in some right direction. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, so I, I decided to adapt it into a, uh, like a 30 minute short film, which, I will tell you now, anybody who's deciding to make a short film longer than 10, 15 minutes, don't just make it a feature film. Um, I, I made it, it was, it was going to be a 30 minute short film. Um, I was able to get some financing for it and, uh, it was, it was, it was starting to move. You know, we, uh, we were able to cast, uh, D Wallace stone. She played the mom in uh, ET wow. and she was in Cujo. Uh, she was in it. Uh, I had uh, a full crew, a cinematographer, uh, you know, all, you know, all these great people that I've worked with, a lot of them family friends uh, that work in the industry. And uh, we were going to film. It was going to be shot on 35 millimeter film. It was right at the time where like digital was like becoming the next thing. And film was, you know, starting to make its way out. But I had the opportunity to shoot this on film. And uh, we were going. My, my father was the line producer on it. And uh, it was exciting. I mean, I'm 19 years old. I had no business doing any of this. <laughs> you know, I, I thought I knew. I thought I knew what I was doing. I wanted to be a director. I'm in film school. I know, you know, theory of how to make a film, and I've done short films. And uh, so we got one day into production. Everything was going good, and then my father had a stroke that night. Oh, and uh, it was. You know, I mean, and for people who don't know about the, in the film industry, but the line producer is the backbone of um, 
the production. I mean, watch end credits. You'll see either a line producer or a unit production manager is one of the first credits build. I mean, that's how important these people are. They're the ones who manage the, the money, manage the schedule, manage the production. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealt with first being 19, um, you know, not, you know, having my father be in a, but he, and he is fine now, but, uh, you know, being in a serious medical situation and this entire production of people, like basically on now standby where every, you know, money is like literally being drained every minute. Uh, you know, think we have deposits everywhere. We have locations, you know, we have people just, you know, where it was a pay or play, you know, contract with them. And it was one of those decisions where I, we had to make a decision where it's like, okay, are we going to keep going? Are we going to shut down production? Uh, we're going to like see what happened. And we had to shut down production. And I remember being 19 years old at two in the morning in my apartment, having to write out checks to the entire crew. Like, and I think to myself like this, this is it. Like I'm 19 years old and I just, you know, I blew my one shot. And, uh, you know, but my main thing was I want to make sure everyone gets paid. That was like my main thing. Cause I was like, I don't want to be the guy who doesn't pay anybody. Um, so, but it was, it was horrendous. I mean, it was one of those things where about three weeks later, I, I ended up going to like a doctor's appointment to get a checkup and my blood pressure was through the roof and I've been on blood pressure medicine ever since. <laughs> um, and it, it, it was, uh, it was, um, it was tough. But, you know, my, uh, my first AD, uh, my first assistant director, who uh, was a family friend who was uh, working on the, the film with me, uh, we were sitting in my kitchen, and he goes, hey, man, this is Film School 101. <laughs> like, wow. if you're, you're, he goes, you're learning it. And, I'm, and, you know, at the time, it was just like I could care less what he was saying. I was just overwhelmed. I, was just, I felt like a failure. I, I felt like I let everybody down. Like, this was my one opportunity to make something. And, uh, you know, and I did. It was a failure. I have, I, it was a, a lot of money for, you know, four minutes of footage that I have. Right, right. Absolutely. So Dimitri, you, you know, you're, you're in this process of writing checks to everybody. You know, your dad had a stroke. I'm glad that he's better now. Let me ask you this. Let's get into the whole movie part of things. And, and, and that is how do you, how do you come up with funding when you're this young for a movie? So, so what, what I'm asking you is there's plenty of people out there right now that, that everybody's looking for funding to, to do their projects. What's the easiest way that you found to get that money to do a project? Well, again, uh, you know, you have to remember, uh, you know, look at your film. What type of film is it? Um, there's a, if it's potentially educational, uh, if it has to do with, uh, social issues, if it doesn't have, if it has to go with, uh, you can just look at those themes because there, there's a lot of areas of, uh, grants that you can get through, uh, colleges, uh, through different scholarships. Uh, if you're a student, especially, um, Oh, no kidding. But I, I yeah, absolutely. But I, I still, I know, uh, I, I know a, a filmmaker friend who's in his sixties who still gets, uh, educational grants because of the films that he does is like adapting short stories for like lit from literature. So there's so many opportunities, um, to find, and again, I'm not talking, it's not going to be millions of dollars, No, but no, it's no. going to, it's, it's going to be enough to, you know, either take the edge off or if you're thrifty enough, it, you know, you might be able to make your entire film, but there's so many ways, uh, to find it. Um, again, uh, educational grants is a, a, a fantastic one. Um, 
you know, obviously then you have to start finding, uh, like-minded people. Uh, you know, there are people out there who, um, you know, do have money that want to be a part of something just kind of bigger than themselves. Right. They want to be involved in like an experience. And if they're emotionally attached to something, they're, they're going to spend money on something. Um, obviously, you know, those are, I would say are the routes when it comes to, you know, being young and independent. Um, well, you know, obviously once you start kind of getting into larger stuff or, um, you have to start looking at it as a business, like how is this going to be marketable? And, um, a lot of that is going to be with, uh, like-minded brands, um, you know, brands and different companies, they want to, they want to be a part of something kind of larger than just commercials nowadays. I mean, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken has a feature film now. <laughs> they, they, they produced a, 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 like a Christmas film, like a, a feature film. Yeah, like you a Hallmark-type so movie? Yeah, a Hallmark-type film, and it's presented by Kentucky Fried Chicken. So, I mean, uh, you know, we have, we have these companies that want to be a part of something that is, uh, is different. It's going to, because they, they need to sell a product, and... Uh, as, even though we're all artists here, like I hate, we all don't want to admit it, but what we're doing is a business yep. and it has to be marketable. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so, it, so there, there is a balance of finding what, um, what kind of person, what kind of entity, what kind of, you know, and of course then you start kind of getting into the position of, you know, getting production companies involved, um, you know, that would be able to, uh, own a certain, uh, amount of the intellectual property or just amount of the, uh, the, the film in general and then of course you know the goal is to, you know try to make your film by yourself super cheap and then sell it to a you know distribution company like netflix or amazon do you have to have thick skin to be in the business you're in yeah you really do you know it's one of those things where um i uh my first internship uh was at the bedford falls company and uh, that is uh, a production company owned by uh, Edswick and Marshall Herskovitz. And Edswick is the director for uh, films like Legends of the Fall, Blood Diamond, um, you know, some incredible films. And uh, it was, uh, I was uh, an intern there while they were making the film Love and Other Drugs with Jake Chillenhall and Anne Hathaway. Yep. And uh, it was uh, my first time being on a major, and I was on the office end of it. But it was my first time being in a production setting, like seeing something from pre-production all the way to post. And um, again, I'm 18 years old. And, you know, if I didn't know what I was doing, I got, you know, you know, there's a line of people that's willing to get my job, right. <laughs> even as, as, a, as an unpaid intern, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's you have to remember that nothing's personal. I mean, sometimes it is, but nothing, you can't take anything personal because right. at the end of the day, everyone's just trying to do their job. And again, and th I, I know that, and rightfully so, I think we're seeing a great change even globally with work in terms of like toxic environments. I think, uh, you know, something that I do on sets is I, I refuse to have a toxic environment. Um, I don't want, uh, you know, there's no, I don't, first of all, we just, I don't have the bandwidth be dealing with things that are not enhancing the film. Yep. So that's something that I, I really pride myself in. Uh, you know, it's, you know, let's not have any harassment. There doesn't need to be any of that just because come on, we're also all adults here. What are we doing? Um, but you know, at the same time though, we're also working in the industry that everybody wants to work in. Uh, we are working, uh, you know, 12 hour days minimum, uh, you know, we're all tired. We're all wanting, but we're all at the same time, we're all trying to make something great. 
and we're all there for the same reason. You know, I so as, it's a, it's a tough balance. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me ask you this: How do you stay motivated and inspired after a hard uh, day's worth of work? You know what I mean. Uh, life has beaten you down. You're you're on a set. You're you know what I mean. It's hot out. The, I mean, the, the whole deal. How do you stay motivated? You know, for me, um, uh, I, I've been trying to uh, have some more meditation on set. Um, you know, something that I've, I've really learned about myself the last few years is I have not been present. Um, you know, I'm so like, okay, we're done with this. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's move on to the next thing. Because, you know, we have schedules. We have to, you know, where there's the budget. We have to always make sure we're, you know, beating budget. We're always needing to make sure we're ahead of schedule. Um, you know, one thing and I, I have been working on are just kind of like my senses. You know, I'm on set and it's like, okay, I'm going to take a beat. Maybe everyone else is working around me, but it's like, okay, what do I see? And I look around, I'm like, oh, I see the set. I see, um, you know, the camera department building the camera. I see this. I mean, what do I hear? Well, I hear, you know, walkie-talkies going off. I hear, you know, the freeway off in the distance. Uh, what do you smell? Oh, I smell, you know, craft services. It was, you know, we had, you know, <laughs> sandwiches today. Uh, you know, what do you feel? Oh, I feel, you know, oh, there's a piece of gaff tape that like is stuck to my leg. I can feel that. So I, I try to be present and I really like live in those moments. And once I kind of get through those, like through those, my senses, I then look around. I'm like, oh my God, like w- look where I'm at. <laughs> you know, I'm on a film set. I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. Like this is, this was my dream. You know, this is my dream. This is my goal. You know, so I think that's something that I do actively on set. Um, you know, when I'm not on set and I'm either in pre-production or we're, you know, in the editing editing room and I'm working with my editors, um, I I always try to um, sit back and kind of look at the big picture. Uh, when that is in pre-production, um, I I try to watch other films that kind of remind me of what I'm doing or like some inspiration or I listen to music. Um, and I, I try to just sit back and I just close my eyes and I think of the big picture and it invigorates me. It allows me to kind of to remember what I'm here for, what I'm doing. And then something that I do in post-production, um, I, I love taking either the dailies, which are, you know, the stuff that we shot that day, or we have a rough cut of a scene. Now I'll, I'll, I'll sit down, turn the lights down in, in my living room and I just watch it on TV. You know, it's only a three minute, you know, rough cut of a scene. And I watch it as if I'm an audience member. And I try to look at that big picture. And when you, I feel like, especially in post-production, when you're sitting at a computer and you're sitting in your editing bay or your laptop or whatever you're doing, if you're editing photos, it doesn't matter. If you're sitting, you're, you're inches away from your screen. And then a lot of times, you then just kind of airdrop it to your phone and then you're looking at it you're, you're at, on your phone. Whatever your pictures, your video, your music video, your short film, whatever you're making. You need to step away from it. Don't be so physically close to it. I know it sounds silly, but I've gotten some of my best like revisions in terms of like looking at something and coming up with notes to make it better by literally putting it on a TV and stepping back and like literally looking at the big picture. Because I feel like so many people get so hung up on like looking at things on such a small screen. And again, even even if your video is supposed to be an Instagram video or something that's supposed to be on YouTube, where it's not going to be on like a theater screen, there's no reason why you can't step back and just look at the big picture. And it, you really suddenly have a different perspective, and it's the perspective of the audience. And I, I feel like a lot of 
kind of um, up and coming or not up and coming, but uh, amateur filmmakers or people who are still learning the process forget to look at it from the perspective of an audience number. And that's ultimately who's going to be, you know, enjoying your work. Dude, you are amazing. I, I mean, I, you literally just painted those, painted that picture with, with your words. So incredible. You gave me goosebumps two or three times and I, and I appreciate you putting it, putting that together the way that you did, because, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter what we do for a living, right? I mean, we have to be present. We forget about that at times. We forget it. We forget about how cool our jobs really are, no matter what they are, because there's going to be plenty of people that would love that job and people forget about that. So I, I thank you. I have to ask, I mean, I asked what, what your biggest failure was. What has been one of your biggest accomplishments? Uh, I would say as of right now, and, um, my, my big thing is I, I truly believe that we should never, ever rest on our laurels. Um, you know, if, if you have a success, that's amazing. Let that be a driving force moving forward, but don't live on that success. You have to move on because especially in this industry, like, you basically have to reinvent yourself. I feel like after every project, you know, I mean, yeah. it's just like, you know, it's, you know, you, you have a major success. I mean, especially now with social media, if you have like social media success, because you could go viral one day and then 24 hours later, you're, you're nobody again. Um, but I mean, when it comes to success, uh, I, I would say definitely, um, winning the telly award, uh, last year for the $10,000 drag shootout. Um, and also just generally, having a TV show. I mean, the show originally started as a web series and it was on uh, YouTube and our own kind of, uh, homepage that we created for it. And we did two seasons, uh, as of being a web series. And, you know, we were getting ready to start our, the third season of the show and then the pandemic hit. And it's like, what do we do? You know, are we going to be able to, like, do we need to keep filming? Do we need to stop? Like, what, like, and again, it was a web series and it was like, okay, well, hold on. And a lot of our sponsorship and everyone was, it was an unknown. And we took that opportunity and said, okay, well, hold on. It's not just us. It's the entire industry. Like it's the entire world. We're shut down. What do we like, you know, so it's not like it's a unique situation for us. So how can we be strategic about this? And we realized that not a lot of stuff was being made. And uh, we were able to uh, come up with a, a great partnership with Mav TV. And we were able to have this third season turn into a broadcasted television show. And uh, something that I, um, I myself was strategic with all the way to the beginning of season one is uh, everyone's like, oh, this is a web series. This, this is a web series. You know, this is what it is. Uh, I, I treated it logistically and creatively as a television show. So the first season, you know, nobody knew what we were doing. We, we made it and we, we got through it. And, uh, you know, it's, and it's like, okay, now we, we have like this idea of what's going on. And then going into season two, it's like, okay, I'm going to be very disciplined and I'm going to make this, these episodes 22 minutes. 
when it comes to web or even streaming, like runtime doesn't matter anymore. Right. But I was like, I want to be, I was like, no, I want to treat this as if it was television because my, my thoughts were, if we ever sell this to television someday, we could then package everything up and we don't have to re-edit this. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, I, but I was also, it was strategic in a way of, it was allowing myself discipline where it's like, okay, I, I have, especially with the type of show it is. So, for context, the $10,000 drag shootout, uh, it's a uh, reality docuseries where we have four teams from across the country who fly them out to California, and they have 10 days and $10,000 to build the quickest drag car possible. And then on the 11th day, we take them to the drag strip, and these guys compete, and then the, the car that wins, the team that wins, they get to keep their car and win $10,000, and the three other teams walk away with nothing. They lose their cars, everything. So it's a you know it's a high high paced uh, exciting show where we you know we have a lot of different personalities and shove them in a hot room welding and cutting up and fabricating and uh, you know and we we make them you know do all these crazy things and uh, you know they're 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 race car drivers so you know they're they all have loud personalities and uh, it, it's fun and it's something that I'm very passionate about when it comes to drag racing and uh, but you know when it, when it came to the uh, the show. Um, I, I was very disciplined because again, when it's a reality docuseries, you end up overshooting the entire thing. It's not, it's not structured or scripted. So, uh, you know, I'm going there with my assistant editor and I have, you know, hours of footage. So having the discipline of making it 22 minutes, uh, it, it forced me into a creative box where it's like, how am I going to tell the story in 22 minutes? What right. do I need to cut out? What, what storylines, what B storyline, what C storyline do I need to eliminate? Um, but again, it was all these things that I kind of gave myself the discipline on. So when I did make the television show, or the, the, the season that ended up being on television, it was nothing new. It, like the process never changed. You know, going from a web series, a YouTube series, to a broadcast television show, nothing changed. Our story meetings were the same. The schedules were the same. The timeline, uh, my process as a director in terms of like, crafting the story, working with the editors, none of it changed. And I, I felt like that was such a great success for the show because it, 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 it at least it proved to me that um, even if you're not doing something in broadcast or television, if you give yourself the discipline to treat the work that you have with the respect that it deserves, you're, you're on the right track. And I feel like that's definitely proof that if you give it respect, like, and you actually start getting a job in the industry or you have the opportunity to have your work be on television or theatrical, if you're flexing those muscles, like nothing changes. It's just the scale. Dimitri, let me ask you this. What was it like the first time you saw your show on TV? Because I can't even imagine what that was like for you. I don't have TV. <laughs> I have like I don't have broadcast cable, um, and so I, I only have like streaming platforms. So the the night it aired, I never got to see it. But um, it was really exciting. Uh, I was at the airport, and it was playing in a uh, like a grill bar. Uh, so being able to see the work, and it's like oh my gosh, I'm like out in a public place. Uh, that to me was so special because like, of course, I could go on and like turn the TV on at the time my show is coming on, but being able to be in a public place where your work is just being publicly aired, that was really cool. Um, it, 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 it humbles you and it reminds you the amount of power that you have as an artist 
because when you're when you're out in public and you there's a your work is out there, it's out there. Yeah. A lot of people are seeing it, and that uh, that kind of gives reminds you the responsibility you have in terms of the stories that you tell. Dimitri, what's it like for you to to tell other people's stories and them coming back to you saying, "Wow, I never saw myself in that light." I mean, especially when you're, when you're dealing with, with, with these different personalities, right? You're, you know, you have these teams of, of, of guys and girls coming in and, and building these race cars. You already know that they're passionate about it, but when you share their story of why they're there, why they're passionate, that has to be so rewarding as well. It is, it is rewarding. And it's also uh, concerning and because uh, it's also a TV show and um, again, none of it's scripted. Yep. But, you know, I, I do have to make a story out of it. I have to have an emotional through line. And uh, you have to emphasize things. Sometimes you do need to take uh, a, a line that they say out of context, even though you're uh, enforcing something that is true. Um, so there are ways of balancing of, you know, knowing it, it's, you know, it's a TV show. It's a docuseries. It's a reality show. But at no point did I say that like everything that you're seeing on screen is factual or <laughs> right. real. It's, yeah, it's TV. You know? <laughs> hey, so it's let me TV. ask you this, Dimitri. Have you ever had anybody, and you don't have to give names or anything, but have you ever had anybody come back and say, you made me look like this and I'm really not like that? Absolutely. Um, I had a, uh, I, I, I will I won't name names, uh, but I did have someone who uh, I actually just recently talked to um, at the SEMA show uh, this past year. And uh, he, uh, you know, he, they were on the show and um, there was stuff that he did that was maybe not the greatest on the show. And I had, you know, it was part, it was part of the story because it not only was it something that was like dramatic, but it also affected the team right. like in terms of like the competition. So it was something we had to tell. And I remember, you know, days leading up to the episode dropping, you know, they kept reaching out and saying like, please don't do this. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I mean, you signed up for it, buddy. Like, I'm sorry. You're like, this is um, a gold mine. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we it ended up going and it was embarrassing for him. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a great episode though. Um <laughs> I love that. But I, but I, but I ended up talking to him at SEMA and he ended up telling me, he's like, Oh man, he's like, you know, uh, when we were filming it, he's like, I was an alcoholic, you know, I was doing all that kind of stuff. He's like, but after the episode came out and after everything happened, he's like, I ended up becoming sober from it. And I was like, wow. He's like, he's like, so he's like, thank you so much. <laughs> he's like, wow. and it's like, and you have to think of the weight, you know, I mean, it, it could have gone the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I start thinking. So you have to remember the like the power that you have, especially working with in that unscripted reality docu area space. You're working with real people. Yeah. These are real people with real lives, with real consequences. Um, and you know, and I, I'm thankful that it went the way it did, and I'm thankful that it, we can laugh about it now, and we can look back, and it's a great episode, great show. Um, but it definitely is going to make it, it's going to give me second thoughts when I'm in the editing room. Like saying, okay, what are we going to put in here? Right. Like, are we going to use this shot? Like, at what point is it tasteless or disgraceful versus empowering the narrative, whether it be good or bad? Dimitri, how do you personally judge success with YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and people making small little, you know, TikTok videos and stuff like that? Is it 
Do you judge your success on your projects by the likes and comments just like they do on all these other platforms or is it completely different? Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, like, I, I, I get it when it comes to engagement and uh, the big data of social media when it comes to likes, comments, and shares. You know, I mean, we're all in the pro- proverbial rat race trying to get, you know, all the followers and the likes. And, and, and unfortunately, it also is just part of the business now. Um, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's the film industry. I don't care if you're a hairstylist. Like, you know, everyone's in that race to kind of get noticed. Um, but to me, I feel like when it really comes down to it, and I, and this is not the business side of it, but like the, the art side of it is like, if you can just reach that one person and really engage with them and they're able to watch your TV show for 22 minutes or your feature film for two hours or your music video or your short film for three minutes, you know, if, if they're able to escape life for those couple minutes or that, that duration of the film, and they're able to reflect on themselves and they're able to come from it with questions and they're able to come from it with a uh, reflection of their own life and be able to spark engagement or an intellectual conversation or just a laugh. I mean, that's, that's what we need to be striving for. Amen, brother. Let me ask you this. I was just thinking about this when you were answering those last couple of questions, when you're streaming a show, what kind of shows are you watching these days? You personally, you know, I, it's funny. I, uh, I, and I'm watching more episodic scripted work because that's just what streaming services are shoving down our throat. <laughs> um, you know, everyone used to say that TV is dead. Um, I don't want to admit it, but I'm starting to think that film is dead. I don't want it to be true. I don't want feature films to go away. And I'm hoping with, Theater's kind of coming back, even though everything's kind of an unknown unknown with the pandemic. It's just everyone is moving towards streaming at home. And when it comes to these platforms, why would they invest money for someone to sit down for two hours to watch a film, maybe watch it again, but maybe get one or two showings out, uh, viewings out of an audience member, when they can invest the same amount of money, if not a little more, and have potentially a decade worth of episodic shows that they can binge watch. Um, you know, it's, and even to me, like, uh, I, I watched, um, and again, I, I watched the, the new Dune movie and it was fantastic. I didn't watch it in theaters, but I watched it at home and it was, you know, two and a half hours long, three hours long. And I watched it. And I, at the end of it, I questioned, I wonder if this would have been better as a, TV show. <laughs> and I, and you know, 10 years ago, I would have slapped myself because, because <laughs> it's just, to me, I'm looking at it and it's like, when you start having, you know, these, these episodic shows that are coming out that are directed by a list directors that are, you know, with the same budgets as major, you know, feature films. And you start wondering, it's like, well, this is, this is now potentially a gold mine for these artists because they're able to live in this world for so much longer. They're able to have so much more character development. They're able to like explore themes and be able to change tone potentially between episodes versus kind of being in this locked off two hour window of, of narrative storytelling. And don't get me wrong. Like my, my goal still is to be making feature films. 
And that's why I don't want any of this to be true. Right. I'm just seeing the, I'm just seeing the trend of, and and I'm even seeing myself gravitating more towards episodic work. Um, so I got hooked the other day watching Yellowstone and, and it was like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it turned into three days of, of watching Yellowstone just being, and I was like, you know what? (laughs) But doesn't see that, doesn't that make more of a, more of a business sense? Absolutely. Like they got you watching it for three days versus you watching for one night. Right. I know. So, I, I'm, I'm totally yeah. getting what you're saying. And it's like, you know what? I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, with, with the brand new year here, what are your big goals for the year? And I know I'm putting so, you uh, on the spot right now, or what are your small no, goals? No. Well, you know, I, I, my thing is to uh, obviously keep working, uh, you know, keep working. <laughs> <That's> my... <laughs> you and everybody uh, listening right now. Yeah, that's you know, you never know what tomorrow brings, uh, you know, so it's always not that I need to keep proving myself, but I, I, I want to make sure I keep making good work. Um, so, you know, it's always going to be challenging myself, uh, you know, wherever if I'm making a, a commercial spot, um, you know, finding ways to tell it differently or be able to... Um, you know, find different ways to communicate with the talent or, you know, finding different ways to work with the cinematographer or if I'm, or if I'm shooting it, find different ways to, um, you know, visually tell the story. Uh, but in terms of, you know, what this year holds, uh, you know, my, my goal would be to get another, uh, you know, we have a couple, you know, things in development in terms of uh, television shows. Um, so hopefully get another TV show uh, moving this year. Uh, and then, you know, I'm also developing, uh, and writing two, uh, feature scripts right now. So, uh, you know, the goal is, uh, you know, my goal is always to be moving closer and closer to that scripted narrative space. I love that. Dimitri, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to ask this question. Does your parents watch your stuff? If so, what's it like for them to come to you and comment on their son's projects oh they you know they're they're i mean they're so supportive um you know they they anytime i have anything uh you know they're the first people that i show stuff to whether it be rough cuts um just because uh i i trust their judgment um i trust their uh are they brutally honest with you uh, uh, they can be, I, I feel like I, I, I have to get, I have to kind of get it out of them a little bit. Cause I don't want, I, you know, they're, they're just happy that I'm doing it. Yeah. So, well, they gotta so be so proud of you. Yeah, they, they are. And, um, but it's, it's nice being able to show them, uh, my work and, um, be able to kind of get, uh, what their kind of engagement is with it. Uh, but yeah, they, 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 they love it. And, um, uh, they, they always talk about, uh, you know, collaborating together, you know, we, uh, even back in the day when I was in high school and, uh, even college, you know, we would, my parents and I would even collaborate on short films. You know, we would have one, my mom would write one, my dad would shoot it and I would direct it or my, my dad would direct it and I would shoot it for him. So we would just, we would just do a lot of fun kind of small stuff just with family, friends around the house. Uh, just, you know, and we would have our own little premieres in the backyard uh, you know, oh, cool. pop, pop popcorn. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it's fun. To, uh, and you know, sometimes I miss going back. I, I want to go back to that. Cause I feel like, uh, there was so much more freedom back then when it came to the work you do. <laughs> Dimitri, I posted today that, uh, you are going to be on the show and I have some social media questions. And if you don't mind, I'm going to take, you know, uh, 10, 15 minutes in, and ask you some of these questions. Maybe you have stories, maybe, you know, just answer the questions. But one of them is, and I couldn't wait to ask you this question. Talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. 
Yeah. You know, um, I, I never really knew or understood really what it was until last year. Can you explain to people that don't know what that is? Can you explain that? Yeah. So imposter syndrome is, uh, you know, how, even though you are successful or you know what you're doing, you have this kind of inert feeling that you're kind of, you know, hoodwinking everyone that you're, you have a mask on or that you're like, you're, you're a fraud and that like, you're really fooling everybody that you're actually good. And you're just kind of faking it until you make it, which Faking it until you make it, that's true. Like, everybody should be faking it until they make it. But this is uh, faking it until you make it to the point where, like, you're not faking it anymore, but you still believe you are faking it, and you're actually, like, being dishonest. And you feel that there's definitely, like, a, a negative impact and that your life is about to implode at any second. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, I felt this. Uh, so the, uh, the $10,000 drag shootout, season three, it won a Tele Award for um, outstanding automotive uh, content on broadcast, and I mean it was exciting. I mean it was it was surreal. Like it was it was just knowing that it went from you know a web series to becoming an award winning show. Uh, so I ended up being on the Tele Awards. Um, they have a show called Hot Takes, where they will interview. Um, some of the award winners and talk about their hot take on the industry, whether it be uh, one of, for example, one of them was uh, a woman cinematographer talking about women working in the film industry, how, and what her hot take was on that. Mine was about um, broadcast versus streaming and how uh, the creatives kind of have the um, upper hand now when it comes to uh, creating content and when it comes to broadcast. And I remember uh, we're getting ready for the interview and uh, she kept referring me, referring to me as a television director I am a TV director. I, I, I directed a show that was on television. But hearing someone call me a television director, it just was giving me knots in my stomach. And I was like, well, no, hold on. I'm not a TV director. Because, like, the TV director, that's a big deal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, you are a big deal. <laughs> but, like, but, you know, and I started realizing, like, oh, my gosh. Like, and I started thinking, like, and I, I started getting nervous. And I was like, wait, hold on. Like, am I, like, I'm not, I'm just, like, I'm still working on my career. I'm not there yet. I haven't made it. Like, but even though, like, if I was to tell myself 10 years ago, like, oh, if you had a show on TV, would that be your, like, measure of success? And I'd be like, absolutely. And, but now hearing, like, oh, you're a television director, you're a television director, I was refusing to believe it, even though it's, just the truth like ego, like take away the ego take away any of that stuff that's my job right now so uh, you know it's it's uh it's a scary it's a scary thing I, I i feel like it's kind of a stigma that people don't like talking about um because i feel like uh when it comes to being an artist and being in the space you always want to you know when you're in show business you, you know you have to kind of have a mask on sometimes you got to have that upbeat energy you don't want to be you know dwelling on anything that's negative uh because you know you don't want to potentially lose a potential you know job um <laughs> welcome you know, to my think, world <laughs> yeah 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 so so i feel like uh, i i want to i want you know people that are listening to know that it's okay to feel inadequate it's okay to feel like the work you're doing maybe like to you, it may not seem like something, but I promise you, to the people around you and your audience, it really is something. Um, don't let uh, don't let imposter syndrome kind of control your life with it, because it will, because it, it will it will stop you and it will it will ruin your self esteem and it will 
at that point, your bandwidth, you won't have the bandwidth to create good art. That's right. That's right. And, and, and you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, too, you know, don't be embarrassed of your success. Right. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, it's like take pride in what you worked so hard for. It's yeah, like, you know, one of the things that one of the things that I'm working on for 2022 is having a healthy ego. Um, you know, I, I I'm too humble sometimes, and when people start talking to me, I have, a, I have a really good friend who every time they introduce me to someone, he always says, "Oh, he's a TV director. He just won a Telly Award." Like he he always does that, and I feel so embarrassed when he does that. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's okay. Like it's my job. That's right. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. absolutely. <laughs> So it's good. It's good to have a healthy ego. It's good to feel good about what you do. And like, if you're successful, like own it, embrace it's it. Okay yeah. to own, embrace it. Just when you do fail, be humble. And when you miss the mark, it's okay. That's right. Absolutely. We'll try again. Yeah. What are they? Uh, Wayne Gretzky once said, you know, you miss 100, 100% of the shots you never take, you know? So yeah. Uh, another social media question came in as a director. How do you deal with so many different personalities on set? You know, that's the one, that's one of the one things that I, reasons why I love what I do. Um, uh, being a filmmaker and, uh, you know, a, a director and producer, every project, a lot of times, like you may have a lot of, you know, key people that you maybe work with over and over again, or, um, you know, but a lot of times you're working with people that you've never worked with before and you may never work with again. Uh, you know, you, 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 a lot of times you get your crew as kind of independent contractors or, you know, through the union. So you have a kind of rotating roster of people that you're working with. And, um, you know, of course you're always working with different talent as well. Um, so I, that's what I love about it is that you get to meet so many different people and every day is like, it's not like you're going to the office every day. You're, you're it's like starting a new job all the time. And, uh, but dealing with, uh, different personalities, um, something that, um, I've been working on uh, with kind of like more of my leadership skills is uh, the, my way of communicating. Um, and it's when I start working with someone intimately, I try to quickly figure out what their communicating communication kind of standard is. Are they a visual learner? Are they visually communicating? Or do they want to listen? Do you like, is it more emotional? Is it more factual? Uh, so I try to narrow in, on what that is. And, um, that helps me when it comes to communicating and working with all these, you know, outlandish, crazy personalities. Cause there's a lot of them in this industry. <laughs> um, and, uh, but again, I, I always just remember, you know, people have, everyone has their own agenda. Everyone's there to make, you know, the best possible work. And they're hoping that it's going to help them succeed. And if you are able to, uh, communicate their the support, for them and uh, let them know that you're like on their side and you're not trying to, you know, undermine them. I think there's a a good way of being able to have a healthy relationship with different personalities, especially if it's someone that you met, you know, that morning at 6am at call time. I love that. Dimitri, another one came in and that is, uh, do you ever get nervous before the start of a brand new project? Oh yeah. I I used to get really nervous. (laughs) No kidding. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. So my my uh, my my mom's maiden name is Shipley and uh she, there was a thing called the Shipley curse where anytime you would get nervous, they would you would start gagging. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the day when I was like 
starting out, I would, I would be the sickly curse and I would just like be in the bathroom and I would be like, you know, dry heaving and I'd be so sick and nervous. My stomach would be a knot. Um, but you know, it's uh, when you start doing it, when you're, when you're working this much and you're filming and filming and filming, you start flexing those muscles and it, it, I know it's a cliche, but it really becomes another day in the office. Um, and that's why I think it's so good for people to always be doing it. You know, so even if you, even if it's not what you do as a profession, like professional you know, job, is this what you want to do? Always be filming, whether it be on your phone or if you're a photographer taking pictures, putting yourself in uncomfortable positions all the time to the point where it's like you're able to handle these situations because you know what to expect. And when the unexpected happens, you have the bandwidth to kind of walk yourself through it mentally. So uh, I, 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 I do get nervous sometimes. I mean, I think uh, you need to have that nervousness. I think anxious energy is uh, a beautiful thing because it allows you to kind of come up with really great things on the spot. Amen um, so I feel like, I feel like if you're too complacent, like I feel like you're not pushing yourself. Um, so I, I mean, I still, I think, uh, I still get nervous, but I'm able to channel it better now, and I'm able to channel it better for my art. Got you. Uh, Another great uh, social media question came in, and this must be somebody in the film business, because how do you, they want to know, how do you come up with the right music for the right project? Like, how do you marriage that your project with good music? That's a tough one. I mean, I feel like uh, so many people have a hard time with it, because, you know, I feel like... You know, a lot of times, like the running joke is, you spend more time trying to find the music than you are actually editing the project. Um, <laughs> is that true? But uh, sometimes for me, I'll sit there and spend you know hours going through different music tracks, you know, trying to figure out what to use. Uh, but I, I think um, what makes it easier is you have to try to remember the story that you're telling in that scene uh, or the project and the whole or whatever it is. Um, you know, you look and say, what you know. And that's when, like, maybe creating a lookbook. Um, and a lookbook is essentially like a portfolio that you're making for your project where you suddenly have, you know, color palettes. You have inspirational photos. You have inspirational quotes. You have all these kind of um, ethereal items that you're able to kind of pull together and it's able to kind of come up with, like, the look and feel, the tone and the mood of what you're trying to say. Um, you know, having that and then also just having an intimate, relationship with your project and your script and the scene, um, it allows you to say, okay, this is what I like. This is the emotion I'm trying to drive from the scene. And then it's, then you're able to say, okay, well then what, you know, you're able to then kind of narrow your search down. And so you don't want, um, everything needs to kind of work in like, it's like a, a ballet dance. Everything has to work in, uh, together and symmetry. And, um, you know, you don't want, uh, something that's going to pull the audience out of the scene. You want to bring them back into the scene. And that goes with, you know, the lighting that goes with the performance that goes with the, the set dressing. You always have to have the big picture and what the, the narrative drive is going to be for that. So I think if you know that intimately, it's going to help you choose your music selection. Can you, when, when, when you're doing a project, uh, this person wants to know when you're doing a project, do you, do you only have like so many people you go to for advice? Because sometimes you could get too much ad- advice on a project and you kind of lose where you were going with it because you're now other people are telling you what to do with it. Am I making sense when I ask you this question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, um, I, I have people that I trust, um, 
you know, some people are not, not even in the film industry, um, but I feel like just have a good sense of like what is good and bad. Um, you know, and, but the thing that you have to remember is that I don't believe there are any bad ideas or bad concepts. It's bad execution. Um, you know, one thing that, uh, I remember working with, with my cinematographer on 10 K drag shootout is, uh, we had a uh, sponsor integration that we had to do essentially product placement. And, um, we were just kind of going back and forth saying like, Oh, I wish we didn't have to like do this. It's going to take the people out of the scene, like, or the show. Like it's like, we don't want it. It's going to come across. So like, just like ad addy advertisement. And I was like, well, no, I mean, it's just a challenge. Like, yeah, like they're like the sponsor integration is not ideal. But the way it's been done in the past and the way I even personally even did it in earlier seasons, it was just bad execution. So it's like we have to find ways to execute it better and smartly. So, again, I think when it comes to, like, getting other people's opinions and stuff like that, um, I think you should always have, like, a sounding board. Um, I think, to me, collaboration is so important. Um I, I feel like I, I, I thrive off collaboration because I only have so much life experience myself and I have, um, but you know, being able to get someone else's fresh eyes on it, someone from a different walk of life, someone to be able to like kind of, you know, reveal different layers of your story or your project. Um, it's, it's, it's ideal, but at the same time, you have to remember that ultimately if you're the director, you're going to be executing it and you need to execute it correctly, even if it's a bad idea. Love that. Hey, with only a couple minutes left, I want to ask you these last couple of questions. If you won the mega millions lottery, like three, $400 million, what kind of project would you do and why? Oh man. Well, you know, I, I would probably say first off, I would, you know, want to get one of my feature films, um, you know, up and running, uh, self-finance selfishly because I, you know, that's the, you know, the track I want to be going on when it comes to narrative storytelling. Um, you know, but I would love to also use that money to, you know, develop ideas of other like-minded artists. Um, I feel like there's an incredible opportunity as a producer as well to bring other stories to life. Um, you know, even if it's not me directing, I think it's, uh, we want we want to raise equality and to raise the storytelling across the board. I think that any any creative should want you know healthy competition and should want the space to be um, not flooded with mediocre content, but with with work that is uh, able to push boundaries because it's going to only make you work harder. So I feel like uh, I would definitely want to bring up like all, all ships <laughs> instead of <laughs> the know, uh, 10 K uh, drag shootout. We'll do like a 10 K, you know, uh short film or something like that. I think that would be great. Yeah. You know, have, uh, you know, four teams, they get 10 days and 10 grand to make a, uh, a short film and then we have a competition at the end. I think that would be awesome. Don't you? Hey, just real quick, uh, because I met you at the PRI show, uh, this past year and, uh, with the company that you work for alloy, uh, studios talk a little bit about how you got there and what you guys do there. Yeah. You know, so, um, I, uh, when I started out in, uh, the industry, I started out at a company called pop sugar. Uh, they're a, um, kind of like Buzzfeed and it's a women's demographic. Uh, so I was filming 
makeup commercials and fashion, uh, food, celebrity interviews. Um, so I was uh, complete opposite of what I do now. Uh, but through that experience, I learned what uh, new media is when it comes to digital media and web and social. So I was able to start taking a lot of those um, things I learned and be able to move uh to this uh, great company I'm at now, uh, Alloy Studios. And Alloy Studios um, is a production company, and we, we our, our big focus is aftermarket um, automotive. So a lot of our clients, uh, we do uh, branded content for them, white label work, uh, broadcast quality commercials. Uh, we also do live pay-per-view events. We do, um, of course, the original content with our episodic TV show. Um, and we, we have a, our hands in so many different creative pots, which is so fantastic. Um, and what's great about Alloy Studios is that we're also starting to expand to more uh, uh, near endemics and also non-endemic uh, brands, you know, kind of, you know, we, we have such a great, you know, hold on the uh, aftermarket automotive space, you know, that we're now starting to touch other different uh, spaces as well. That's so cool. Dimitri, I, I promise you two more questions and that's it. Have you ever been starstruck? You know, that's a question that I get all the time and I'm going to throw it right back at you because you've been around so many cool people. Have you ever had anybody come on set or visited the set and you're like, holy Toledo, that's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Have you ever been starstruck? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've been starstruck once. Um, so my, my favorite film and the reason that I got into film making also um, is Back to the Future Part 3, the third one. Okay. And the reason I liked the third one is because as a child, it was the first time I realized that you could take two different genres and put them together. I didn't, I ne- up until that point, I never knew you could do a science fiction film, also Western. <laughs> um, and I realized that the, my, the traditional rules of filmmaking, you can break them. Like that was my first thought seeing that. I was like, oh, you're telling me you could do anything you want? So when I when I realized that that was like a huge driving force into like what I want to do now, I was at the uh, Peterson Automotive Museum uh, for a uh, media event yep. on the on Hollywood picture cars, and they had the Back to the Future DeLorean there, and Bob Gale, the uh, writer of Back to the Future, was there, and I got to meet him, and uh, that was definitely uh, a starstruck moment. I remember I went up to him and I said, uh, "You're the reason I do what I do," and he said, "I hope you don't rob banks." And it was the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it made my life. So that was that was definitely one of the uh, moments I was starstruck. Dimitri, before I ask you the last question, how can people follow you on social media? Yeah, so uh, you can go to Instagram, and I'm uh, Dimitri underscore the Greek. Uh, I am Greek. If uh, Dimitri Lazarus hasn't given away, um, so you know, a lot. I post a lot of my work there uh, on Instagram. That's that's where I'm the most active. Um, you can also check out Alloy Studios. Um, we are on Instagram, and then also Alloy Studios dot com is our uh, webpage for. Um, you can see a lot of our work there, but um, yeah, between those two, and what's great about the Alloy Studios uh, Instagram as well is we do a lot of like tips and tricks uh, videos. So for someone who's tr- you know getting in the industry or learning, wanting to kind of make their work better, you can, we do a lot of tips and trick videos, and we're starting this new uh, kind of series where uh, we we kind of peel back the curtains, and it's like a behind the scenes where um, we'll talk about our creative process during a, a commercial spot. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Do you have a lot of people that, that come to you with ideas because you are a director, you're a writer? 
You're a producer. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone comes to me with ideas and stuff like that, and uh, it's I, I, I love it. I really I, I welcome it. I think it's uh, it's exciting because again, you never know uh, who the next person is you're going to be collaborating with. Um, and you know, the one thing I'm starting to learn more with myself is you know I used to love writing, and I still do a lot of writing. I'm writing a feature now, but I'm starting as realizing that I love taking something that's already written and directing it. Um, because okay. I feel I, I love I love seeing something that's already bit, has like has been created and built, and someone's put their you know blood, sweat, and tears into it. And then I love being able to kind of breathe life into it, be able to put my fingerprint like on the on the script, you know, put just my tone, right? my look. Yeah, yeah. This time, just, yeah, you, you'll get a cease and desist. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think it came full circle. You know, it's a uh, I, I I really love um, you know collaborating in that sense where it's you know. Because there's people that there, I, I, there's people out there that are better than me. <laughs> what I do and what they do when it comes to writing and conceptualizing, and I want to work with those people. Dimitri, what advice could you give somebody that wants to get into your crazy business for the the young man, the young woman, the middle aged woman, the middle aged man, the older generation? Somebody that wants to get into your business, what advice could you give them? What I would suggest for someone who's getting in this industry is to always film. Film, 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 film. Uh, because you need to start you know, working those muscles now. So when you are ready to film or do a bigger project, it's second nature to you. And uh, one of the big things that I try to remember, and I, I heard this quote <clears throat> is that if you're not having fun in the fun business, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> That's great <laughs> advice. <laughs> we're not, we're, it's not rocket scientists. We're not, we're not saving lives. We're, we're, we're in show business. It's fun. <laughs> Remember it's fun, you know, have fun on set. Laugh. It's not the end of the world. Even though it may feel like the end of the world when you're over budget and your film is falling apart, or you get blacklisted, you know, whatever happens, like it's not the end of the world. I promise you that, you know, there's people, you know, you just, ha you have to have fun. That's what we're doing. At the end of the day, we're trying to make people laugh. We're trying to make people cry and uh, have fun. You know, that's the thing. You know, Dimitri, just something you said, you know, right there, have fun. Yes. Uh, two, don't use the excuse, you know, I don't have enough money. You know, with the technology oh, yeah. that, that literally are, are in our hands with our cell phones. I mean, I, I think that my new cell phone is like 5K, you know what I mean? Or 8K or whatever it is. I mean, it, 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 it's crazy. There is no excuse. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like, there is no excuse. Stop coming up with excuses. You can do it yeah, if you no want excuse. to do it. Uh, my, I, I'm, gonna, I'm a television director, and when I was making my TV show, I was doing it in my bedroom, in the middle of the pandemic, in my boxers, on my dresser, when I was editing it. I love because that. Because that's the situation, that, that's what had to happen. So yeah. you know what? When, so when you have this idea of like, oh, when I become a TV director someday, when I become a feature film someday, I'm going to be sitting in this editing suite, and there's going to be craft services and bagels in the corner, and there's going to be hot coffee on there. <laughs> it's, that's, I, that's what I thought it was going to be. I, that's how I thought TV directors lived. But no, it's actually a TV director is sitting inside your bedroom with your dresser with your two kids jumping on the bed next to you while you're trying to edit and get a deliverable out 
<laughs> while you're trying to tell them to be quiet. <laughs> Why I'm wrapping this up, I want to make sure that I encourage everybody to go to your YouTube channel uh, because one of the things that I watched last night um, and couldn't shut it off because you are that good at what you do, but is your 1969 Datsun uh, Roadster build. And um, okay. it just goes to show you probably shot most of that with, you know, uh, a cell phone or a GoPro or, you know what I mean? You were in your garage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things uh, to kind of give context on that. So I, I uh, own a 1969 Dotson Roadster and um, I'm, you know, going to be building it. And I told myself, well, I'm going to make a, you know, a vlog about it. Uh, Cause I was like, it's going to keep, if I keep a vlog going, it's going to keep me like, held accountable to keep working on it. And, um, unfortunately I haven't worked on it in probably a year just cause it's been busy, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it, when I was doing it, um, I, I got so much engagement from people across the, the world, actually, uh, other like-minded people who were building Dotsons, um, other car guys, car gals. And, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. I also have, um, some racing footage on there of a, we have a front engine dragster that we race as well. And one last thing, I, 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 I have to bring this up. I want you to talk about your mother's YouTube channel. Uh, your mom has a YouTube channel called uh, The Weird and the Wonderful. Just take yeah. one minute and, and, and give her a, a, a commercial on how cool her YouTube channel is. Well, so my mother is turning 70 years old this year. And last year, uh, I was finally able to convince her that she needed to create her own uh, YouTube web series. And it's called The Weird and the Wonderful, where we have this eclectic woman uh, traversing swap meets and garage sales and uh, auctions and finding oddities and uh, incredible collectibles that she kind of uh, acquires for her own collection. And her own collection is full of original movie memorabilia, movie props, uh, she has acquired uh, a lot of the Movieland Wax Museum that used to be in Buena Park uh, near uh, Knott's Berry Farm in Disneyland. And she's essentially turned her entire house into a museum. Uh, so the uh, episode kind of showcase. Yeah, she has a car hanging yep. from the living room ceiling. I mean, that's how cool this yep, place she is. Has, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, the, uh, the car from the absent-minded professor, the original Flubber movie. Uh, it's hanging and flying in her living room. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really fun show. It's, uh, she's, she's fun. And, uh, she, you know, every episode she kind of showcases part of her collection and then she's going to be going to other people's collections as well, showcasing all the stuff that they, they're passionate about. I don't know if you can do this or not, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you just kind of tell your mother that you came on this podcast and maybe we can get her on one of the episodes here on the outstanding life podcast. Just put that little, put that in her ear. Absolutely. I, I think she would love it. You know, she's done some, uh, some uh, collaboration with other uh, YouTubers as well. Um, you know, and it's been uh, great. It's just great because again, what's so awesome about the space and creatives and uh, it's when you get like-minded people together, uh, it's, it's beneficial for everybody and it's fun. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun. And uh, so it's great. You know, she, she loves collaborating with people talking about the stuff because it's also, it's a, it's a great history lesson. Uh, it's educational and she's able to kind of uh, let these people kind of live on these Hollywood legends and people that may have gone to the wayside are able to kind of be brought into the limelight. Dimitri, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the Outstanding Life podcast. I mean, dude, you are amazing. And again, just real quick, one last time, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. 
Yeah, uh, Dimitri underscore the Greek on Instagram. That is the uh, best place to find me and see my work. And then also uh, I work at Alloy Studios. So you can check out uh, their Instagram as well. Um, have some awesome stuff on there. I think you guys will enjoy it. Everybody, that's Dimitri Lazarus. I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Thank you for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And remember to have an outstanding day.